Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome to episode 99 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, alongside my fellow explorer and best friend, Aaron. Hey, man. Hello. <laughs> you sound a lot better than uh, when we talked last. I think you were uh, facing something uh, along the lines of the shimmer uh, and having uh, your appendix removed from what I remember. Yeah, that is a fact. And we initially had to kind of push our episodes back because I had no voice for about a week. Got my voice back and promptly in time for the shimmer to have a wriggling appendix inside of me and they had to remove it. Um, Oscar Isaac did not do my surgery, shockingly, with a knife. <laughs> at least, well, you know what? Actually, I don't know that. I was told that it was a, a, a female surgeon, but I was asleep. So who knows? Yeah, I think uh, I'm willing to bet Oscar Isaac had had some had some kind of role in that. But it's nice to hear that you're well. It's nice to see you sitting upright for a little bit. I know that uh, having my appendix taken out myself, I was on my back for about a week. But it's good to see your face in a vertical position. Well, it's good to be back. I'm glad we got to finally talk and get to our annihilation episode because you and I were both really excited about this one. Yeah, this could be the most divisive film of 2018, although it is still early in the year. And yes, we are talking about Alex Garland's latest film based on the novel of the same name by Jeff Vandermeer, if I've got that name correct. And it brings with it a lot of questions, both from the story and its audience. And hopefully we can wrestle with a bit of that in our conversation. Now, Aaron, as you mentioned, this was one of the more highly anticipated films of the year for you. I know that it's no secret that you are a big fan of sci-fi and of Alex Garland, but you recently watched newly released Duncan Jones film Mute. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your movie experience with that? Well, I'm going to keep this real, real brief. We had three highly anticipated science fiction films come out in February of 2018. One was God Particle, uh, renamed as the Cloverhill Paradox, and after many, many issues with production, suddenly, shockingly showed up one night during the Super Bowl. It was like, hey, everybody, here, this movie's on Netflix. It turned out to be a very bad sign because that movie was not very good. Uh, and we both had really looked forward to that one and were let down. Then we had uh, Annihilation, another one, and here we're going we're gonna to talk through our thoughts on that. Uh, and the third one was Duncan Jones's new film, Mute, and that was from the director of Source Code and Moon, two really great science fiction films. They're tight, they're short, they've got great ideas, and he just, I felt like he was kind of a master in the making in that genre. Mute did not do it for me, okay? And, and I, when I say it did not do it for me, I did not, I despised the film. Uh, and I don't, I don't say that lightly because I don't like saying it. And I, I really hate that that was my takeaway, but this was a movie that I legitimately almost turned off because I found it so off putting and so hard to get through as a film. It's, it's messy. It's kind of confusing in the sense that it's set in this sci-fi kind of neo-noir world, but really does it, it, it has no need to be, there's no purpose for it. Um, the sci-fi tech is almost not even a, a part of the film. It's there. There are a couple cool things. And then there's some like, you know, sexualized 
tech that is i just i don't it doesn't do it doesn't, i don't like that stuff frankly um the film has a darkness to it the story is dark the characters are mostly dark there's not many likable people in this movie at all there's an entire subplot uh about pedophilia and frankly that was when i got so upset that i just was like this doesn't need to be here i don't really care at this point what duncan jones is trying to tell me i know these characters are not good people and I know that whatever, maybe they can be redeemed in the end. Who knows? But like, I didn't want to go through it with him. And I just found the movie to be pretty awful. And if you look at ratings across the board, uh, from most folks, it seems like I'm not alone. A lot of people are unfortunately feeling the same way. So uh, Mute is definitely a big two thumbs down from me, which means that I hope that Annihilation can save February sci-fi for you and I. Patrick. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sad that I mean, I wasn't really high on mute uh, just because, of course, I love Duncan Jones stuff. I love Source Code and and, and I really love uh, Moon. Uh, Warcraft was not going to be in my wheelhouse, that whole fantasy epic type thing just by default. And, um, you know, you and I had highly anticipated the Cloverfield Paradox, as it's aptly named now. And I remember seeing something on social media that somebody had said, it looks like Netflix is turning into the direct to DVD or direct to video place for a lot of things. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to call it that just yet. I mean, this is a couple of critical misses for sure. Um, at the same time, I've been going through black mirror uh, a little bit at a time. And so if Netflix is failing when it comes to their, their, I guess not original program, but their feature films, uh, they're really striving and, and getting a lot better with with their long form storytelling, their, te- their television shows. And there, there've been several Netflix original series that I have, I've really enjoyed, not just on the sci-fi front, but also um, in terms of comedy and drama and things like that. So my hope is that this is just sort of a slow start for Netflix as a company. I'm not asking them to become the next Paramount or Sony pictures or, or Marvel studios or anything, but I, I want good movies regardless of where they come from. And um, as much as I would want to look forward to for sure, the Cloverfield paradox based on the criticism that it's gotten, I'm kind of glad that it went to Netflix because it kind of saved us, saved you a screening and saved me about, you know, eight or $9 to go see what was probably something that was going to be pretty disappointing. I still haven't seen it yet. I'd like to just to kind of make my own judgment, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm both disappointed and kind of nodding my head at the same time. Like that makes sense. Yeah. Now not to be undone, I have been watching like a ton of movies with all this time on the couch now after getting back from surgery. So there is that silver lining. And I do want to say the thing that I watched that has stuck out the most to me so far is also on Netflix. So not to just have this totally be a downer section. There's a documentary that came out last year called five came back and it's a three part series of like one hour documentary episodes. And it essentially, it tells the story of these five Hollywood directors, John Ford, William Wyler, John Houston, Frank Capra, and George Stevens. And it's all about how the five of them were these incredibly big Hollywood directors at the time and ended up going and serving in World War II as filmmakers and how it affected them, the movies and the documentaries that came out of their time in the war, and then how it impacted them when they came back, both in their careers, their personal lives, 
it was some of the most fascinating stuff. It's narrated by Paul Greengrass, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola, Guillermo del Toro, Lawrence Kasdan, and Meryl Streep. Okay, this is a amazingly put together piece of work. I guess it's based on a book. And Patrick, for you especially, I mean, I think you are going to eat this up because it's all about these guys. And I had some of this stuff, I just, I had no idea. I, I had no idea that many of the scenes that were in some of the iconic World War II films of the late 40s were actual footage that these directors shot while at D-Day, like for example. So, I mean, it, it's mind blowing, the stuff that you learn from this documentary. It's one that is probably one of my favorite documentaries in years and one of the very few that I will watch multiple times. So if you have any interest in kind of Hollywood film history, like cinephile type stuff or war films in general, this is a must, must watch series. Well, I'm, I've added it to the list as you were talking and I will put some time into it this week. If I can break away from the rest of my life, which includes a lot of work right now. Uh, but that's always a nice thing to, to break away from and to that being said, let's get into our review of annihilation. And before we do, as always, we want to give you our official spoiler announcement. We're going to be talking about a lot of the movie, the beginning, the middle, the end, the characters, everything about it. Well, not everything about it, because that would just take forever. But the stuff that we liked and the stuff that didn't really hit us in the feels. Um, but in any case, go see the movie. It's worth seeing and it's worth listening to our conversation afterwards. So, well, we're saying that up front. I'm assuming it'll be a good conversation. And it so. needs people to buy tickets. Please, please go see yeah. this movie. It does. It does. As we always begin, let's talk about our one word takeaway, our expectations. This is a first time watch for both of us. So Aaron, why don't you get started, get us started and uh, give us your one word takeaway and kind of what your expectations were going into this. Cool. Well, um, you know, in keeping with the jokes about the shimmer affecting me afterwards, the truth is I I had very high expectations for this film. I'm a, an Alex Gartland kind of super fanboy, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, I love everything he's written previous to this. Ex Machina, the first film he directed, is is absolutely one of my all-time favorites. I just adore the movie. But things like Dread, Never Let Me Go, Sunshine, one of the most underrated sci-fi films ever, in my opinion. Uh, even going back to you know his novel, The Beach, and 28 Days Later. I mean, he everything he's done, I've been a fan of. So my expectations for this were through the roof and there's a trend uh, a listener and friend of the show Scott Kelly pointed this out to me that he's noticed that a lot of times you know the higher that my expectations are for something the worse off my first impression is and um, Annihilation was really no different Um, this for me the one word takeaway I'm going to use is unsettling and it was unsettling for a couple reasons one is the film itself I love the idea of how the shimmer affects each thing in person differently and the beautiful visuals mixed with the horrific visuals, uh, which I was not expecting, by the way, at all. I had no understanding or, you know, plans for this to have a horror element to it. That wasn't in my, on my radar. And I love the ambition of this, but it really lost me in the climax. And overall, I had a super hard time finding any, kind of character development that made me resonate emotionally with the characters and that it was a huge bummer. And 
so that left me just unsettled, unfulfilled. And so when you combine that with the way that the movie did kind of stick with me in that whole, who am I? And is my skin actually crawling? Like I said, my appendix was wriggling and they had to take it out. I mean, this, I was kind of worried that the shimmer was inside me. So yeah, unsettling on a couple of different levels is really how I walked out of Annihilation. That's definitely a valid word. And I could say that I felt a little bit of that, but the thing that I took away from it and uh, one of the things I thought about during the film was the word discovery. That's the kind of the word that sums up my experience with it. You mentioned the difficulty finding connection with the characters. I found that too. But where my emotional connection came from was from that one word takeaway, discovery. This felt like a video game to me. Like I felt like I was walking through the shimmer with these women. I felt like I was discovering these new things with them. And there was so much about it, about this exploration, not only of the shimmer, but of the backstory of each one of these people, about their tragedies, I guess you could call them. And that was really intriguing to me because anytime you give me sci-fi, the sci-fi that I'm going to gravitate towards and probably that you're going to gravitate towards is that two-layer type of film. That layer of, hey, it's got some cool text, some cool monsters, some cool imagery, and also there's some thinking man's piece to it. Interstellar is one of those those ones that we talk about. I think maybe gravity hits on that a little bit, but there's always something below the surface and I, I think like you, Alex Garland hit the perfect notes with Ex Machina by giving us this really interesting idea and then this idea underneath the surface that we're sort of wrestling with. Annihilation for me does that. I remember leaving the theater and kind of being unsettled like you did and going, I'm not really sure how to feel about that. I think I liked it uh, much the same way that I felt leaving Dunkirk. And just going, hmm, what's... But as the more I thought about it, the more I kind of wanted to go back into the theater and watch it again. Because there was a lot, from a story standpoint, from a narrative standpoint, that I wanted to revisit. But man, the the overall like visuals, the overall environment, the world in which it was created, there was just so much about it that I wanted to re- just kind of go back into that adventure, knowing what the outcome was going to be. I just, I wanted to go back. It was a world that I wanted to revisit the world of annihilation, not necessarily the world of the shimmer specifically, but everything leading up to it. And this was one of those few films where the, the setting and the idea out outshined the characters that, that were a part of it. And in a way that's kind of sad because we have characters that I think we're supposed to feel sympathetic for, uh, and we're supposed to feel something, but, like you, I didn't feel that. I but I did feel I did feel a connection to the world. And I that's different for me because I've never really gravitated towards that. I've always gravitated towards the characters that uh are immersed in the story. Yeah, I would I definitely understand that, man. And I think that's I think discovery is a fantastic word for this movie as well, because it it gives you that sense of exploration and truly having no idea what you're walking into. And it right. captures that much like, you know, something like 2001 captures that, you know, walking onto the moon, not knowing what you're going to see. And you just know there's a thing there right. um, and you have no idea what it's like. And that's what it was for these characters to walk in here and just, okay, that's new. I've never seen that before. And then, oh, wow, that's really pretty. And oh, wow, that's really scary. And 
Um, and I, I, did, I do think it did a great job of that for sure. And there's some nonchalantness to it too. Like you could have, there were several moments where Garland and his team could have said, let's hype up this moment. And one of the, one of the scenes I remember specifically is when you have these four women, and I think you use the image in our uh, Facebook cover photo of them looking at the shimmer right before they walk in and the music doesn't do anything dramatic. They just walk in. <laughs> there's nothing that like shines or there's no flash of light. They just walk through this translucent uh, film. And then the next thing we, we experience is a flashback and then disorientation, but it's not so jarring. Like what I think would be in a typical sci-fi horror movie. It's just like, this is what you'd experience walking into like the shimmer. It's almost like Garland and his team were saying the shimmer. We don't want the shimmer to scare you. We want you to be invited into this thing. And then we're going to scare the crap out of you with this other stuff that's going on. And it's through that discovery of understanding what the shimmer actually does that's when things get really scary and things get uh, really horrifying in a actually a pretty fantastic way. And what was interesting is I know you had hesitation because of the horror aspect of it, but this was one of those movies that didn't really bother me. Like the, the horror aspect of it was kind of fascinating to me because it, it wasn't meant to give me jump scares or anything like that, or just to be gross. It was, there was, there was logistics to it all. And so the, I mean, to an extent, there I mean, was the, one here. The alligator was a jump scare at the beginning. Agreed. Agreed. But again, it was a good jump scare. I jumped (laughs) like a hugely jumped. I think the horror was fantastic. Yeah. I was worried about you. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you enjoyed it. Yeah. When it make, I think what I've understood about horror is when I feel like it's purposeful to me for it, from a narrative standpoint, that's when I'm cool with it. If it's just a series of jump scares, which is fine for people that, that like that, uh, that's not for me, but every, even the jump scare had a had a purpose to it because we find out later what that was. And that was even more kind of frightening, finding out what it was that was grabbing her backpack. So these two layers of, of film, we got the story and then we've got the undercurrent. And I was thinking about what the big idea was in this, in this movie. Um, Garland said that this is less of an adaptation of the source material and more of a response to it. That's a very interesting statement that he makes. He did. And I want to mention, you know, I wanted to read these books. Um, Very few novels these days actually can capture my attention and hold it. But this series has been on my radar for a while. I decided to hold off because what I have found in recent years, the more movies that I've watched and kind of as we've transitioned you and I into this being our primary entertainment means because that's what we talk about we podcast about for me if i've read it first i am way 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 more likely to be let down because i have this idea of what i want it to be because i liked it the way it was already done and so i feel like it should be just you know page by page done all over again well from what i understand this film is about 15 percent of the book um, it has major changes. So one of the couple of the changes that I had heard about um, that you might be interested in knowing are in the book, the characters don't have names. It's simply the biologist or the chemist. I actually find that pretty fascinating. And I, I'm more inclined to go read the books now because from what I understand, they deal a lot differently with the climax is much different as well. 
and just the idea of why the shimmer is there and what what they're doing it's all about the exploration so i feel like it's something you might be interested in reading as well but it's it's way more centered on how they interact with the environment than the personal dramas that they're bringing into the situation um, yeah yeah and and i i think that this is this is where we get a little bit more imbalance because we're hinted at backstory. We're hinted at motive for each one of these women as to why they're going into the shimmer. I mean, there is tragedy for each one of them and we're, we're kind of reintroduced to that over and over again in some way, shape or form. And so when that's brought to the forefront of us as an audience, what we do is we say, okay, that must be important. But if Annihilation as a as a series, as a story, is going to be, is driven by the narrative and less about the characters and more about the exploration, I think that to a, I'm not going to say to a fault, but maybe to a, to a lesser extent, Garland did a fantastic job adapting his response to it. And I think he added this secondary element of character development that maybe didn't it didn't pack the punch that we wanted it to um i don't know that i would like it anymore if there was more balance i think i'd maybe like it more if it was a longer movie and we got a chance to get more uh intimate with these uh with these characters but if if only 15% of this book was adapt or movie was adapted from a book and if the majority of the book or the whole book is really centered around the exploration, I think he nailed it when it came to that. I think that's where his success is for, for annihilation is that, that feeling of exploration. Yeah. And you, so you started this by asking about that first big idea, right? And I think it does lie in this, this thought of self-destruction. And I almost picked a connecting point that, on second, initially, I kind of enjoy the scene, and in hindsight, I realized I didn't really like it that much. But there's this moment right after the alligator, I believe, where they're rowing through the swamp. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be terrible with character names. Um, but the first one to die, I don't know if she, is she French? I think she's French. Um, I really enjoyed her character for the brief time we had her. But she is talking to um, Lena. Is it Lena? Yeah, Lena. About this idea of self-destruction. And she says something to the effect of, you know, we all come in, no one comes in here who's got a great life on the outside. And that was a, a pretty cool line. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was effective. She goes on to then explain everybody's individual dramas that they've mm-hmm. got. And I didn't really, I didn't really like that. Um, but it did set the stage for what Alex was going to use to propel the narrative forward for the characters. And that was this idea of self-destruction, that everybody is coming into this place and they, whether it's conscious or subconscious, that we are all on this path of self-destruction. It's, it's kind of cynical, if you think about it, and a little bit sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it starts with the very beginning with Natalie Portman talking about the cells and how they replicate even the cancer cells, right? Even bad cells are going to replicate. And so if we all have this element inside of us and it's constantly replicating, then we all are self-destructive to this point and 
I feel like that's sort of what he was going after and trying to tackle. I don't know. What? How did you think? Well, this is where my interest kind of increased a little bit. I, I think it, it challenged me because if the shimmer is attracting those that are going down a self-destructive path and we are reinforced through that conversation that each of these women has some kind of flaw, some kind of thing, some kind of futile thing that's causing them to not want to live, whether it's uh, self-mutilation, whether it's the death of a child, cancer, whatever, it made me, and maybe this is what he wanted to do, it made me wonder, well, what's Lena doing? So is she subconsciously wanting to destroy her own life? Is she wanting to destroy? What is she wanting to destroy? Because she's the one that begins to, she says this at the very beginning. And if the shimmer attracts those that are on a legitimate path to self-destruction, what is her self-destruction? Is it her, her guilt for cheating on her husband? (laughs) I mean, that's the, that's the obvious. Yes. But at the same time, I see bits of her character that are fighting. And even up till the end, she wants to get back. So is this, is this her grieving process? Is this her, her way of fighting through getting close to the edge of essentially killing herself and saying, no, this is my life means more than this. And I'm going to fight back. Hence the ending sort of. (laughs) So it, it, it's challenging. And at the same time, it's kind of confusing because Lena is the odd man out to me. Like she's, she's the one with the, that doesn't have the obvious motive for going in. Well, I think that you're nailed it. I think that her reason has to do with the idea of her cheating on her husband and feeling guilt about that. And now in her mind, she's going in because he's probably going to die. And it's almost self-sacrifice. Like, I deserve to go in there and deal with and die or do, you know, whatever fate he may have had. I think that she goes in with that. But what the difference is, is you see that she's built differently and, you know, everybody reacted to the shimmer differently uh, as they were going. We had, you know, some people who seemingly wanted to go peacefully and just kind of become one with the shimmer. We had others who didn't seem to necessarily want to die. We have no idea what, the French woman, I mean, we know that she had lost a child, I believe. And so she was dealing with that grief, but we didn't really get to know enough about her before she just became the first victim and got dragged off by a bear. And then you have Gina Rodriguez's character who was phenomenal, by the way, I really enjoyed her performance um, who I really liked. That was probably the most emotional connected that I got was when she broke down and she tied everybody up and she said, listen, this is how it's going to go. And I feel like this is where we're heading. And so I'm going to take charge and kind of get to the point before we get there. Um, And so she's in a much more, she's self-destructing through a lack of trust in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, And so, I mean, they all have their own thing. And I, I I guess it's just a matter of Natalie Portman being a little bit more driven on the exploration side. Maybe, I don't know. I, this is, this is part of the problem for me is that I didn't completely understand it and it's, and we're not meant to, it is ambiguous. I have no doubt 
in my mind because it's an Alex Garland movie that if we go see it again, we're going to pull a bunch of stuff out. I mean, it's no surprise or no accident that the movie is filmed in this format where it's in interviews from the past where Natalie Portman's character is being interviewed and, you know, she's narrating things after the fact for us. That's meant to be happening that way. And so I I feel like there's probably lots of clues that will tell us a little bit more about what Garland intended for it to be about maybe, but I didn't pick up on a ton of those. I was really kind of mesmerized by the pretty pictures. Yeah, I'm with you. And I had to get a lot of help from Den of Geek, Looper and Slate in order to understand a lot of the, the undertones. And I think that's okay. It can be frustrating for sure, because as a movie watcher, you want to be able to absorb every big idea or every big thing that's supposed to be given to you, whether it's from a straight up superhero movie or a comedy or a drama, you want to feel like you got a complete package and movies like this serve as kind of a nice frustration because they compel you to want to see it again because you feel like you missed some things that were kind of important. Uh, that can be done. That that can be faulty because or risky because if I don't have a chance to go see it again, the more time I spend away from it after that second or third viewing, the more I'm going to be frustrated and be like, "That was kind of a crappy movie because I didn't get a complete picture." Is that my fault? Probably, but I'm at the end of the day, I'm the, still the one paying for the ticket, and so I can blame Alex Garland or whoever I want to on my response. I don't feel that way. I still, even if it's not until it releases on, on DVD and Blu-ray and all that, uh, that I get a chance to see it again. I, I still want to see it again. Well, and no, I, it's like a week. It, it literally is like a week and you're going to see it on Netflix. Like that's, that's the release model of this film. Paramount bailed on it because they showed it to audiences and it was right after mother had tanked for Paramount, like completely. And so they showed this to test audiences and it got middling grades of like a C. And so they were like, uh Oh, we're going to have another huge failure on our hands financially. And so they sold the, what they did is they sold the rights to Netflix and it only is releasing in theaters in the USA. All the rest of the world is only going to get it on Netflix. And I think it had a 17 day um, theatrical window before it hits Netflix. I mean, so like it it was going to have this minimal run to, because they wanted to capture just the hardcore fans that were going to go see it anyway on the theater knowing that it wasn't going to take off. And then they recouped most of their budget by making the sale to Netflix. So the good thing is that we won't even have to pay much and we can see it again real soon. The bad thing is as much as I'm torn on this film right now, I enjoy, I love that it exists. I love, I mean, I can't tell you how much I love that this movie exists because it's, it is very ambitious And it is the kind of science fiction that hit or miss, and there are going to be misses for people that are hits for other people. We need to be able to see more of this. And it's, it's not going to keep happening if this is the response that we give it as a whole. Yeah. And there might be a stigma that is attached to, as we mentioned before, what Netflix is the cheap, cheap way out or the, the bargain bin of a film. And so I think Annihilation will unfortunately get that kind of stigma. Oh, must not have been popular because it's on Netflix a week after it releases in theaters. And Paramount's not doing it any favors by making that deal. Um, You know, there are times when I wish we lived in a world where streaming services couldn't do that or they didn't exist. And so we'd have to let a theater 
and an audience make that call to deem a, a movie a success or failure. On a personal note, I'm glad I get to see it again soon. And I'm, I'm glad that it's going to be accessible. And just like you, I'm glad it exists because my personal satisfaction with my personal digestion of it is still going to happen. And so the film got made. It's not like Garland and his team can go, can we just hit the reset button and not make this? You know, you can't do that. So at the, at the very least selfishly, I'm like, okay, it's been done. It's made whatever happens now. I don't really care. But at the same time, it puts a bad taste in the mouth of your creative team. When you put so much into something and the studio says, eh, no, never mind. We'll just kick it over here and we'll only, I don't know. It just, it feels bad to me. And, um, but anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, back to the, to the film itself. I wanted to talk a little bit about a line in the movie and see what your thoughts were. It's a line spoken by Lena. She says, we need to accept, wait, I think this is it. We need to accept the things change in order to become new. She says something like that, that when she talks about what the shimmer's doing, it's not destroying, it's remaking, it's making new. Yeah, and, it's very similar to what she says. Yeah, and so what What did you take away from that? I mean, it's a big thought. Maybe it's something that's meant to be ambiguous. Did you have a response to that, or did it leave you going, I don't really know what that was, so I'll just kind of take it as decent screenwriting? My problem with that, is that I didn't have enough of an understanding of the shimmer as a thing, as an alien with a goal, with a mindset, with a desire. We don't know why the shimmer is there. We never learn why the shimmer is there, what its goal in life is. Like we know it's taking, it's expanding. We don't know why it's expanding other than it just is. And we literally never get that answer. That's one of the things I don't really like about it, to be honest. Um, maybe because there's no even hint of an answer to that, but because I didn't have some sense of what the shimmer was there for, I didn't connect as well with this idea that it was remaking instead of destroying because it's almost like it's almost worshipful the way that she says it right. Or dismissive, like it's totally okay if it destroys all of these animals and these creatures, because it's remaking them in a new image that mm. is its image. Yeah. It's as um, if she's, it's as if she's saying that the current creation is flawed. Yes. And this is a way to bring <laughs> to, to, to use a faith phrase to bring a new heaven and a new earth to, yes. to this world. And, and I, that's, I picked up on that. That is what you I know, thought too. The, the spiritual side of me thought, you know what, this feels a little bit like, you know, this new creation, our bodies, you know, our, we get these 2.0 bodies when, uh, you know, for those of us that, that believe that and, and there's something beautiful about that. And of course I attached a little bit of myself to it, but you're right. We need more information to kind of get us to that point instead of bringing in a somewhat profound line of exposition. And I think that that's, it's a it's a technique that's used quite a bit when you want to give your audience more information in a shorter period of time, whether it's done in an epilogue or a prologue or that kind of thing, or a voiceover. I, I was listening to an uh, an episode um, on Blade Runner, 
and they were talking about the differences between the theatrical cut versus the final cut and how one of the 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 voiceovers at the very beginning of Harrison Ford's character uh, Deckard is is taken out and how they kind of like that because they allowed the movie to tell you what he was kind of summing up uh, in the visuals. And and, and that's ambitious. I mean, right now in my filmmaking career, I'm going to use some voiceover. I'm going to give you more information because I don't quite have the knack of, of figuring out, okay, how do I give this information to my audience in a creative way? It's an easy way to give your audience information. At the same time, it's kind of a cheat too. And if you don't have the information that you need beforehand, those things just don't make sense. So I felt like it didn't have as much of that, um, that pre-information visually or whatever to pay off that, that line that she said. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't have the emotional heft behind it for me. Like, and that yeah. kind of goes back to the whole, my whole main primary problem is it, yes, it makes sense for her to say that logically that things could be recreating versus destroying, but one person's recreation is another person's destruction. And that maybe that's another point that's being made here. You know, Josie chooses to be recreated. She chooses to bond and become one with the shimmer by essentially committing suicide. Like, and I, and I kind of, I, I don't know that my reading on that was also a little sour because that's what I felt she was doing. I felt she was killing herself yeah. and yet it was treated in a way that was supposedly pretty and sweet and oh, that's a good way to go out. And I thought, no, she's being a coward and killing herself. It's definitely conflicting for sure. It reminds me of, um, I think it's semi-sonic closing time. Every new beginning comes from other, some other beginnings end. And everybody's head now, everybody that's listening is this song. The song is in their head for a week. Thanks. <laughs> well, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, Aaron. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> in any case, I think it has potential to, uh, to, to, to invigorate us to think about these things a little bit more. Um, at least I hope so. I, I'm 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 hopeful on my on my second viewing that I'll be able to pull some more stuff from that. And again, I need help when it comes to getting stuff explained to me, especially heady sci-fi stuff. Like I need to be told, oh, okay, that's what was going on. And um, we may have some links in the show notes to some websites that that offer some theories on on the ending and other stuff like that. Uh, at least they're in our show notes. I may try to see if I can drop them in at some point for, for our website. Um, let's talk a little bit about technicals because as you and I have both mentioned, the, the visuals themselves were incredibly, I'm going to say original. I don't think I I expected what I got. The, um, the episode that we did on Pacific Rim, we talked about the really cool idea of the drift. Uh, I guess you can call it sci-fi tech, but this idea of a sci-fi, technology of some kind, the, the idea of the shimmer was incredibly attractive to me, not only it's ambiguity, but also as it was, as it was explained to us, what it's doing with the environment, how the biology of everything from the flowers to the animals, to uh, the birds, to the fish, were all refracting off of each other. And that concept, that sci-fi concept is something that I have actually never experienced before. It it felt very refreshing to get to know that aspect of this story and this, uh, this character of the shimmer. How did you respond to that? 
Well, I mean, I love the shimmer. There's no doubt about that. It was really, really awesome. Uh, the visuals of it, the the ideas. I, I think that we, you mentioned wanting more time in the world. I would have liked it if this had been just an exploration movie with almost no attempt at character drama. And we just went through the shimmer, learning things about the shimmer mm-hmm. uh, and kind of dealing with them as we went because uh, those parts of the film were kind of the highlights to me, just seeing different pieces and, and they seemed to go so fast. That was the thing. You know, we got that one or two quick shots of the fish in the pond, which mm-hmm. also I believe, by the way, there's a scene that's almost completely like that from a film called Stalker uh, by the great Tarkovsky uh, and Russian director. I watched that film for the first time after seeing Annihilation and hearing that Annihilation was very similar to it idea-wise. Holy moly, it is it's almost exactly like uh, Stalker. Stalker is uh, set in a futuristic Russia where something has come down into the zone and people venture into the zone and weird things happen. And there's supposedly like a room you can get to that grants all your wishes, but nobody ever comes back and except these stalkers and they're like guides who take people in and out. Uh, so it's, it's incredibly similar, but there's a shot in it of a pond with the same looking fish. I, I, so I'm almost positive that there's several things in this film that are direct nods to movies like stalker and 2001 that excites me and it makes me more excited about a rewatch as well to kind of find those and pull more of those out. But those aspects of his visual storytelling were great. The horror pieces were truly some of the most horrific images I have seen in a year, two years. I don't know, a long, long time that bear will haunt me and stay with me. Uh, It was so freaking scary. I don't know about you, but for me, like when the bear comes on screen with the half skull and starts screaming with the voice of the dead, um, Cass, Cass, it's, I I don't even, I can't even, I just, I cringe just thinking about it. Um, it it was, the design is just so incredible. Uh, the 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 animals or the creatures in this world i think the word that i would probably use to sum them up are compelling and and to me that's it's weird because i don't want to stare at the alligator shark crocodile shark whatever it was or stare at this bear but that particular scene the second scene where the bear comes in it is in uh he is sniffing around and he's just getting incredibly close to all these these remaining surviving women it is, it's, it's tense. It's compelling. Uh, it's, it's all these things. And I'm feel I'm, I'm feeling like I'm in the chair trying not to move just like each one of these women. Yeah. You don't want it and, to find you, but it's not that it's, it's, it's this, it's that alongside of, I don't want to look away. I want, because at some point I don't feel like the bear is, it's weird. I don't feel like the bear is trying to intentionally attack. I think it's exploring just like these women are. And of course the movement of, uh, of what's her name, uh, the woman who just gets completely shredded by it, uh, not cast, but the second, the uh, Gina Rodriguez, is that her name? The actress's name. Anyway, when, when she attacks it, I almost 
a small part of me is like, yeah, you're going to get killed and good riddance. But at the same time, there's this fear aspect of it that is sitting with me. And I don't know. I, I think visually it was just a, a compelling uh, image for me to see that, that bear and, and what com- combined with, with Cass's voice was just really eerie. Right. Well, and that speaks to what the visual effects supervisor, Andrew Whitehurst, has actually said about the creature. Um, and that creature d- does not appear in the book. This is a creature creation of Alex Garland and the team. But this was created as a physical manifestation of distorted genetics that cause sickness and strange shapes within the shimmer. And that speaks to exactly what you're saying is it's not it's it's genetics. It's living out its existence like this is this is what it is it doesn't have a choice in the matter it's just being and you happen to be there with it and these things don't go well together and kind of seeing how these two come together is very intriguing it's similar to alien in a lot of ways because you know we go onto the planet with the xenomorphs xenomorphs don't like come to our planet to invade and kill us we go onto their planet we find them and they try to survive just so happens that they do that by trying to kill us because that's how they know they'll survive. The bear is no different. I agree. And I think that I would like to see more animals <laughs> in a longer version of this as part of that exploration. The deer, because, the deers, dude, the deer yeah. with the, uh, um, the antlers that were tree branches and stuff. Those were so yeah. gorgeous. Well, and the fact that this was just after, after Lena had talked about, the cloning, the replicating, which I thought was pretty fantastic uh, to see that near the end, but to see those two deer just essentially reflecting each other and mimicking one another, running, uh, running with each other in the, in the forest. Um, Before we get into our connecting points, I want to talk about the ending and (laughs) with, with all of its, Hmm. You know, this was something when I was in the theater, uh, folks, I was I was sitting next to a guy who I felt like every 10 minutes was just going, hmm. Like he was either judging the film or he was experiencing something profound. And there were moments in the movie where I was like, yeah, that's a kind of profound moment. But then the credits rolled and he goes, hmm. And then he gets up and I'm going, okay, I don't really know what he experienced. Maybe he was just really put off by it. But I had the hmm guy sitting next to me. Uh, who was giving me his his kind of his casual nonverbal nods uh, to what he was thinking about in the movie. And I guess I could make my own interpretation as far as what that is. But for me, the ending to me was stunning. It was beautiful. It was mesmerizing. And it was long. <laughs> Just like 2001. This is, man, if you're going to end a movie and you're going to do something pretty amazing visually, you don't need to linger. And I think I remember telling you this offline that the ending for me could have been better visually and narratively if it had been shorter. It just felt like it lingered a little bit, just like the the ending of 2001 for me. But at the same time, I feel like all of these ideas, these big things that Garland and his team were trying to capture within the film were sort of being rushed and summed up. Like he was giving us all these answers really quick and they were kind of too quick to for me to process so i had this duality of going on of like i get this fast explanation and then i get this long drawn out destruction or recreation or whatever it is when 
the when the fire burns up the the lighthouse and and that's kind of how i felt i felt i felt very uh very conflicted leaving the theater and the ending was sort of a microcosm of of how i felt and i wanted to kind of get your input as far as what you thought about that well i didn't have a ton of thoughts about the ending i'll tell you that straight up i was lost in a haze of visuals and sound and crazy mimic dancing with phosphorus grenades. I, I I don't know that I understood what was going on well enough. It was very similar to a first viewing of 2001 and seeing that space baby and going WTF. And it took multiple viewings and reading people smarter than me to get to a point where I felt like I understood it and enjoyed it. And I got there. I did get there. But I had to put in some really heavy work. It did not come easy to me. Uh, and I don't think that the ending of this is going to come easy to me either. And so it's a, it's one of the reasons why I continue to say that disclaimer that I think that I'm going to like this more when I rewatch it. But I can't say that now. You know, that wasn't my first experience. I, too, thought it was way too long. Um, it just felt very long to me. And I, I didn't understand the point of everything um all the way to the end i mean to to the point where jennifer jason lee's character who is you know her self-destruction is the fact that she's got cancer and so she's dying and so she's here to get she's that gummit she is going to get to that lighthouse like she is determined to do that before she dies and we see her merging with the shimmer thing and then it's a matter of like are there more than one shimmer things or does the shimmer like is it one alien? Is it an entity that has pieces of itself? Because Oscar Isaac in the ending of the film is clearly a duplicate. It's not the real Oscar Isaac. That's a, a copy of Kane. Um, and then Lena leaves the film infected too. And, and I did not like that, by the way, since we're talking all the way to the end. It, I did not think that giving me all of that ambiguity just to give me a two second clip at the very end where you show me the eyeballs and let me know very, very definitively that they are both shimmer going forward. I thought that was kind of lame in a lot of ways. Like it almost undid the ambiguity. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I, it, it called back to the, the very last scene of BVS where we get Superman's death or his, his coffin and then right before the screen goes to black, we get just that little hint of dirt popping up. And for me, I think it would have been that that last moment would have been incredibly more power. It would have been more powerful if we would have seen the embrace, Kane's eyes change color, the other side, like we got that zoom in to Lena's face. And then right as it went to black, we see maybe, possibly, a hint of a color change. But we don't know for sure. To me, that would have at least been consistent with the other ambiguity. Because from what we saw and what the visuals told us, she wasn't a copy. You know, had we seen maybe a this kind of contemporary dance that was being done and we would have saw, seen a cutaway or something. And we would have been t kind of been given this hint of, Oh wait, we didn't quite see everything in the scene. We didn't see her switch out with her, with her copy. That would have 
further reinforce that. But we there got are cuts many. like that. There are there are cuts where they could have, in theory. See, so I have to. I need to see that again because, based on my viewing, I didn't see any cuts or at least anything that felt. It would be a stretch. Popular. It wasn't when they looked exactly like each other. So it was like silver, you know, alien and Lena. But yeah. there were cuts where, in theory, if they changed their appearances after that fact, we would not know. Yeah. Um, it, again, it would be a stretch. It's, it goes to the ambiguity of it. Yeah. So in any case, I think it, I think it kind of crippled the ending for me. Uh, I don't think it ruined it, but I think there was just a lot that was trying to be answered, a lot that was trying to be said, and it was both too much information and not enough clarity at the same time. So that's that's kind of my takeaway from it. Perfect. You know, I read, I led with that in my written review of the film right after seeing it. I said, in the beginning, Natalie Portman's character, Lena, is being interviewed by Benedict Wong. And I, I just, these scenes were so boring and like blah to me, by the way, these whole interview sessions, but he, he's asking her questions and her response is continually. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it's setting up this idea that, you know, we don't know what we're getting into, but by the end of the film, that's the same answer that we're still getting is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like that was the, the overarching theme of it is, I don't know. And then, all I do know is that, oh, well, the shimmer got out. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's here and what its purpose is and what it's going to do uh, to the rest of the world, but it's out. And, I, you know, I don't know. There's there's just, there's lots of little things I didn't necessarily love. I, I liked the idea that Kane probably went into the shimmer because he had found out about the affair. Um, Jennifer J- Jason Lee says at one point that he volunteered to go in, which leads us to believe, I think that he knew and that that's why he would put himself in the position to go, uh, and become, you know, liable to die. And then I love the fact that this movie uses an all female cast. That's pretty incredible. It it is a really great cast and I'm just disappointed because I felt like they were wasted. I feel like they could have done so much more on an emotional level. Um, acting wise, I had total faith in them, but Tessa Thompson, who I've really enjoyed, you know, she's just like this quiet, she's hardly in this movie. Like you, you don't even know she's there hardly at all. And, um, I just kind of saddened by that. Um, it's, it's, it's a weird one. It, it is definitely a weird one. Yeah. Well, one final question. And then, um, I'll talk a little bit about the connecting point and it's an important question. So, but you're thinking cap on, okay. If you could choose a breed of animal to have crossbreed your DNA with, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh gosh, cat, cat. Of course you would. <laughs> black cat, panther. The, not not T'Challa, but an actual black panther, right? Yeah, I don't want to actually be in part. Well, no, not T'Challa. Wakanda forever. Right? Yeah, Wakanda forever. Shimmer forever. <laughs> no, no. Not after what it did to my appendix. <laughs> really, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, in all seriousness, let's let's move into our connecting points and I'll go ahead and kick us off. I mentioned earlier about how the 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 narrative itself and the world in which we were introduced to was just probably more compelling than the characters. And the risky thing about sci-fi in this world building is that it can create uh there's this responsibility to balancing both mystery and explanation. 
Uh, the World of Lost, the TV show, I think for me personally, failed in that regard. Not on, not it wasn't the creator's fault necessarily. It was a lot to do with network and, and other factors or whatever. But um, when you have a nice balance of both mystery and explanation, I feel like I get a satisfying sci-fi movie. And I don't consider myself this bright guy when it comes to some of these subtle nuances that exist in this type of storytelling. So it was great to get an explanation of what the shimmer does to the environment that it encapsulates. And and that comes from who you mentioned, you know, you mentioned um, uh, Tessa Thompson who plays Josie. Uh, she was the character that if I could gravitate towards one character in this movie, it was her. And there were two scenes that, allowed me to attach myself to her much like the, the shimmer did. (laughs) And the first scene was where she was explaining about the refraction of the shimmer and how it, it takes on these character traits from a DNA at a DNA level of all these different things. And that's why we're getting both this beautiful and horrific uh, visual landscape of all these animals and plants and visuals. But the following scene that she's in where it's just her and Lena is really what resonated with me because it was the sort of conflicted conclusion to someone's life that we are told like specifically for her that she, you know, she hides cuts on her arms due to wanting to kill herself or as um, I think it's um, Cass says possibly have a spiritual experience. So she's got these cuts on her arms and, um, but she's apparently she's she's trying to do one of two things. So in a sense, Josie gets what she wants. She tells Lena that Lena wants to fight the shimmer and Ventress wants to find it, but she's not sure that's what she wants. And then the next moment we see what you described earlier, and that's just her growing these beautiful flowers and branches out of her arms. And then what we assume she slowly becomes one of these tree people, flower people, because she's never seen or heard from again. So she gets what she wants, but at the cost of her own life. And I was saddened and relieved because I felt like she was choosing to end her life. So it was this weird kind of suicide, this weird kind of choosing to end your life. But it was done in a way that I think she felt she was, I don't know. It's like she was being taken off life support, voluntarily taking herself off life support because she really didn't have much to live for. And at the same time, she was getting that spiritual experience because she was finding meaning in that. Again, it's something that I haven't quite nailed down as far as what I understand that to be. But those two moments of her explaining what it was combined with that particular scene, um, I didn't expect to feel that way. And it was not necessarily a good feeling, but it was interesting. And so for me, that's kind of the place I connected with the most was that scene where she chooses to let the shimmer take over her and becomes one of these beautiful sculptures, I'm assuming. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I guess I can totally see that. It is one of the most emotional scenes in the movie, for sure, uh, and one that doesn't have a lot of them. So I think I'm not totally shocked that you would choose that one. For me, my connecting point was a struggle, I really thought long and hard about what it was going to be. And then I had to decide whether or not I was even going to have one because the, the truth of the matter is I don't, I just did not connect with this film from the very beginning. It felt wooden to me. It felt distant to me. Characters were cut off. 
and and I understand why, and I know that that's a, an aspect of the filmmaking, but it just didn't lead me enough, didn't give me enough background, enough time with them that mattered for me to care much when anything happened to them. And so, I mean, the only one that I cared a ton about when they died was Cass. And I knew next to nothing about her. I just really enjoyed her actress. <laughs> and I, so it's not really a connecting point, to be honest. Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping, Patrick, that when I go back and watch it again, that something clicks for me. Um, it's happened for sure in other films. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm, I'm nervous because I don't know that that's going to happen in this one because this is a, a different kind of a thing to be expecting. We're not going to suddenly learn more about the characters the next time I see the movie. But for me, I just didn't have a connecting point and it's rare, but it happened. Yep. And that's okay. We don't always have to have a connecting point. And that's what we call positive honesty, an aspect of the show that I, I really, I really like along with feeling stuff because you know, it's not positive film. It's feeling film. And so there it is. Well, buddy, thank you for taking time to stay vertical as we talk through this film. I, I hope our listeners enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I know I did. And uh, if you guys want to continue the conversation with me about this or any other film that we've covered or just movies in general, you can always find me on Facebook and Twitter. Just do an at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S. P-A-T-C-H on Twitter. Look for Patrick Hicks on uh, on Facebook. You can find me there. Be sure to at me or tag me. That way I can be sure to reply back. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, and if you want to find out more about the show, you can always check out feelinfilm.com. We've got a lot of back episodes, minisodes. Uh, we've got some blog entries. We just dropped our, our uh, Oscar choices, our nominations, our picks, our predictions. Uh, from Aaron and I, as well as the other staff, uh, Jeremy and and Don and Steve. So be sure to check all that out. Let us know what your predictions are. It's going to be pretty exciting. Oscar's coming up in a few days. I'm excited to watch. And I believe uh, we'll find out, uh, depending on how Aaron's feeling, we will be doing a Oscar reaction mini-sode soon after that. So It's not a mini-sode. That is our episode. We are, we're kind of doing a, a little bit of a hijack situation here as you'll notice this is episode 99 so patrick we are about to celebrate the amazing episode 100 we've gotten we've actually put out probably 140 150 episodes but not main numbered episodes so we're gonna skip one and then we're going to do this oscar reaction episode where we talk about what happened and we're also at the same time going to announce the 2018 Feelers Choice Awards that were voted on by the members of our incredible Facebook discussion group. So um, please come join that if you would like to be a part of discussion that happens all throughout every week. Those members are the ones who do the voting, the nominating for those awards, and get to participate in weekly polls and all kinds of other cool, unique stuff. So it's free. It's easy to do. Just search us up on Facebook and come be a part of that team. The other stuff we've got planned, uh, we've got our mini-sode, our donor pick episode for February on Crazy Stupid Love that we will get to as soon as we possibly can and get that out. Uh, and then uh, we voting is currently in play for our March donor pick episode, uh, which is going to be honoring Women's History Month. So if you have not checked it out, check out patreon.com slash film. And for as little as $1 a month in supporting the show, you can get a vote and you can help choose 
what that mo- uh, movie is going to be. This month we're doing five films from five different fantastic female directors. Uh, and so come check it out on social media. You can find out what those movies are and you can get votes and be a part of that choosing as well. So Aaron, where can people find you if they want to keep the conversation going about any of this stuff that you've mentioned? Uh, primarily you can find me all over the web at Aaron L white, A A R O N E L W H I T E on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, also tweeting out of the feel and film Twitter account. And then the aforementioned Facebook group. I'm very active there. Yes, you are. And we are glad you are glad to have you back on the show in social media and everything else. In the meantime, keep listening to the show. Keep supporting us any way you can drop us a review on iTunes or wherever. But listening to us is the, the best way that you can support us. And, uh, and we're glad that you guys are. So until next time, stay positive and keep feeling filmed.